Welcome to the Antioch Podcast. We're a justice-minded Christian church in beautiful Bend, Oregon, seeking and celebrating the reconciliation of all things. May the word of Christ dwell in you fully and give you peace. And now as we move from the gathering portion of our service to the listening, our scripture reading today is from the book of Romans, chapter 10, verses 9 through 17. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing, from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, Pete, I guess you better get those beautiful feet up here and bring the good news. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Gary. Morning, church. Morning. Good to see you all today. My name is Pete, and I want to welcome you. Whether you're a longtime follower of Jesus or you're brand new to the Christian faith, whether you're maybe deconstructing some of your beliefs or healing from church hurt. Whether you're here for the first time or the last time, we're glad that you're here and uh, it's good to be together today. We are in week eight of our 10-week series entitled The Whole Gospel, Both and Faith in an Either-Or World. And the idea is basically that if we as the church are going to be faithful to the way of Jesus, then we aren't going to fit nicely into any of the categories the world would put us in. Because true Christianity is neither conservative nor liberal, it's something else entirely. And that doesn't mean that we're always moderate or centrist either, it means that we inhabit this world as pilgrims and strangers whose first allegiance is to Christ and his kingdom. And so if you've been with us, we've been wading into some pretty heavy conversations over the last few weeks. Last week, we talked about the war in Israel and Palestine. The week before that, we talked about systemic racism. And this week, we're going to talk about something even more controversial, evangelism. So it'll, uh, it'll be fun, I promise. <clears throat> Let's start in verse 15 of Romans 10. Paul asks, how can anyone preach unless they are sent? In the original Greek, the word sent is missio where we get the word mission. So to be sent is to be given a mission. And this is something that Christians have always recognized, that part of what it means to be followers of Jesus is that we are those who are sent by him 
All Christians believe that God has a mission in the world and he has called his people to be part of that mission. Where we might start to diverge is when we ask, what is that mission? And that's really our question for this morning. What is God's mission in the world and what does it look like for the church to live on that mission as those who are sent by Jesus. And so if we plug that question into the chart we've been using through this series, then you'll see kind of how the two main streams of Protestant Christianity have tended to answer these questions. Okay, so we'll walk through them real quickly. On the left, in mainline Protestantism, the mission of the church is primarily about embodying the love of Jesus by working for social justice, which is all about alleviating human suffering by caring for people's physical needs in the name of Jesus, with the goal of seeing liberation for the poor and the oppressed so that they can flourish and thrive. And this is really the mission that Dr. King preached and practiced and ultimately gave his life for. On the right side of the chart in evangelicalism, the church's primary mission is evangelism which just means sharing the gospel with as many people as possible, introducing them to Jesus, the one who can forgive their sins and meet their deepest spiritual needs. The goal in evangelism is conversion, to see people repent and believe the good news, and this is the ministry that Reverend Billy Graham dedicated his life to, preaching the gospel and leading millions around the world to Christ. And so obviously this is a generalization, but these tend to be the two ends of the spectrum when it comes to how different streams of Christianity think about the mission of the church. So one side is all about social justice, the other side is all about evangelism. And I'm guessing that most churches you've been part of have tended to lean pretty hard one way or the other. Now at this point in the series, you already know what I'm gonna say next, don't you? <laughs> Which side is better? Should we be about justice or should we be about evangelism? Both. For us, this isn't an either or. This is a both and. And this is what that looks like. We want to be a church that's committed to both social justice and evangelism, that's concerned about sin and suffering, that cares about people's needs, both physical and spiritual, that celebrates liberation and conversion, and that carries on the legacies of both Dr. King and Reverend Graham. And so that's our vision of what it looks like to live on mission for the whole gospel. We want to practice the love of Jesus in works of justice, and we want to proclaim the love of Jesus in words of truth. It's both and. Now, the trick is that not only do we live in an either-or world, but for most of us, we have one dominant hand and one non-dominant hand, right? And we tend to lean one way or another when it comes to mission. But if our goal is to be ambidextrous in our approach to the mission of God, then that's going to take some work starting with the fact that both of these terms, social justice and evangelism, bring some pretty heavy baggage with them. Okay, so let's start with social justice. Most people aren't too offended by the word justice, but as soon as you add the word social in front of it, it tends to get somewhat controversial. And people who promote social justice often end up getting labeled as woke or liberal or SJWs, social justice warriors. And if you've paid attention over the past few years, you know that lots has been said and written by Christians who want to explain the difference between biblical justice and social justice. 
But if you understand what these terms actually mean, then you know that they aren't pitted against one another. One is just a subset of the other. Okay, so in a biblical worldview, the way we talk about around here is that truth and justice are the two lenses through which we see the world. So when we talk about truth, we're talking about the way things are in reality. And when we talk about justice, we're talking about the way things are supposed to be. So just as truth corresponds to what is, justice corresponds to what ought to be. That's the idea of justice. And then under the heading of justice, there are all kinds of subsets. So criminal justice, for example, is about making things the way they're supposed to be when it comes to crime. Economic justice is about making things the way they're supposed to be in the economy. Environmental justice is about the way things are supposed to be in the environment. So social justice, then, is just about working to make things the way they're supposed to be in society as it relates to humans. So to say that you care about social justice is simply to say that you care about fixing what's broken within our society. And to work for social justice is to work for a world that looks less like the way it is and more like the way that it should be. Or as Cornell West puts it, justice is what love looks like in public. So I'm always surprised when I hear people say that they don't agree or don't believe in social justice. To say you disagree with social justice is to say you prefer social injustice. To say that you want the world to remain in its current broken state rather than be restored to something better. So you're free to fight for social injustice if you'd like, but you should at least know what you're talking about. So the real question then isn't whether or not we want justice in society. The real question is, where does our vision of justice come from? What constitutes a just society? Or who gets to decide how things ought to be? Those are tricky questions, and there's all kinds of ways people try to answer them. But for us, as followers of Jesus, our vision of justice is formed by our faith in Christ. And when Jesus imagines a world where everything is the way it's supposed to be, he calls that the kingdom of God. And so that's how the Bible defines justice. When things are on earth as they are in heaven. So that's what we mean by social justice. Just justice in the realm of society. And that's why it's one of our core commitments as a church. We believe that justice is integral to the character of God and to the mission of God's people. And so we're going to talk about justice a lot. We always have and we always will. But it's only one half of our mission. The other side is this thing called evangelism. And that's not something we talk about as much around here. And I think, think it's safe to say that evangelism is probably our non-dominant hand here at Antioch. Have you ever tried to throw a football with your non-dominant hand? It's not great. Uh, and that's okay, but it means we have some work to do. And what's funny is that I've spent years trying to get evangelicals to care about social justice. My job this morning is to try to get a bunch of justice folks to care about evangelism. So that's what we're going to do for the rest of our time. We'll start by defining evangelism. It comes from the Greek word evangel, 
which simply means gospel or good news. So evangelism is announcing good news. Before it was ever a uh, spiritual or religious term, it was essentially a term used in ancient forms of journalism. When something big happened that the people needed to know about, an evangel, then there were messengers or evangelists whose job it was to go and tell everyone the good news, that the war is over, you're safe, you can come out from hiding. Okay, so uh, ever since the time of Christ, Christians have recognized that at the center of our faith is also an evangel, an announcement of good news that needs to be shared with the world. And so when we talk about evangelism as Christians, we're just talking about preaching the gospel of Jesus. We're talking about sharing our faith. We're talking about telling others about the hope that we found for ourselves and for the world in Christ. Now, the problem is, of course, that for many of us, evangelism, for whatever reason, doesn't sound like very good news to us. And there's a few different reasons for that. A few years ago, the Barna Group put out a report on what Christian millennials believe about evangelism. I'm curious how many millennials are in the room. Raise your hand if you were born between roughly 1980 and 2000, okay? So basically, if you can relate to this meme, uh, you're, you're one of us. Uh, this may surprise you. <laughs> I'm actually a millennial. Uh, I know I'm not what you picture with the dad bod and the graying beard and all that, but I was born in 1980, so uh, technically that makes me one of the world's oldest and wisest millennials. <clears throat> Um, so these are my people. If we look at these statements from the Barna study and the percentage of millennial Christians that agree with them, then you'll see what I mean about us having a complicated relationship with evangelism. So here's the three statements. The first is, part of my faith means being a witness about Jesus. And 96% say they agree. So pretty much all Christian millennials believe that part of what it means for us to follow Jesus is that we'll share our faith with others. Pretty straightforward. The next statement, the best thing that could ever happen to someone is for them to come to know Jesus. And 94% say they agree. Basically, Jesus has changed my life and I want him to change the lives of my friends and neighbors too. And so, so far, we're pretty much all on the same page. But then here's statement number three. It's wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. And 47% say they agree with that statement. So basically, half of Christian millennials think that sharing your faith with someone in hopes that they will come to faith is wrong. Not just awkward, not just optional, but actually immoral. Okay, so let me just recap the report. We want, we want to tell people about Jesus, and we hope that they'll come to know Jesus, but we think it's wrong to tell people about Jesus if we hope they come to know Jesus, right? <laughs> Millennials are complicated. It's hard to be one of us. So how do we make sense of this? I've got a couple of theories. My first theory is that I think we're comfortable sharing our faith and talking about Jesus with people who are searching for meaning, 
who are looking for truth, who are asking us questions about what we believe. We're happy to tell them about the difference Jesus has made in our lives. But if somebody already has a religion or a set of beliefs that seems to be working for them, then we feel like it's wrong for us to try to impose our beliefs on them. So I think that could explain the disparity. But my other theory has to do with motivation. And it seems like they're saying that if your motivation for sharing your faith in Jesus is to convert someone, then that's a problem. Because it feels like you're treating them like a project rather than a person. It feels like the only, pers- the only reason you're interested in them and investing in them is so that you can convert them, which feels gross to us. It feels like we're selling Jesus, and we don't like that. So I want to press into that for just a moment and talk about our motivation for evangelism. How do we share our faith with others without reducing people into projects? And I would argue it's actually pretty simple. We do it by remembering that evangelism isn't actually our end goal. It's just a means to the end. What's the end goal? It's loving our neighbors. We don't love people in order to share the gospel with them. We share the gospel in order to love people. Our motivation is love. Think about it. If you have the best news in the world, why would you want to withhold that from your friends? Why wouldn't you want to tell the people around you that you found the greatest hope in the world? And we love doing this with other areas of life. We love telling people about a new restaurant we found or a new show that we're watching. We're all evangelists when it comes to our favorite podcasts or clothing brands or whatever it is. Why is it so different when it comes to the most important things in life? I'm not totally sure, but I do know that if you really want to love your neighbors, then what better way is there than by telling them the best news they could ever hear? The goal isn't conversion. It's love. Evangelism isn't about winning an argument or defending your faith. It's about loving your neighbor as you love yourself. So I understand why my fellow millennials struggle with evangelism. I really do. But for me personally, I just can't get rid of it. Because sharing the gospel is part of following Jesus, and it always has been. Jesus himself was an evangelist. Everywhere he went, he was announcing the good news of God's kingdom to anyone who would listen. And he specifically calls his followers to live as he lived and do what he did. One of the most straightforward places is right after his resurrection, Jesus appears to his apostles in Mark 16. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So sharing the gospel with the people around us has always been part of what it means to follow Jesus. And as I've told you before, you don't have to follow Jesus. You really don't. But if you're going to follow Jesus, then you need to follow him in this too. 
Now, some of us are really going to struggle with this because evangelism sounds hard or complicated or scary or just simply something we don't have time or bandwidth for in our lives right now. But the good news is that when you get the gospel, you realize that evangelism isn't actually something we have to do. It's something we get to do. And that's part of what Paul is saying in Romans 10. We're dropping in in the middle of a much larger conversation here, but in this letter to the church in Rome, Paul makes the case that sharing the gospel isn't something we do for God. It's a gift that God gives us. We get to be part of God's redeeming, reconciling, saving work in the world. So here's how Paul puts it, starting in verse 13. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? So Paul just asks a series of rhetorical questions to show that it's because of God's grace and kindness that the way he's chosen to bring salvation to the world is by working through people. Blaise Pascal called this the dignity of causality. That God bestows upon us the honor of being part of something way bigger than ourselves. He entrusts us with his precious gospel and we're the ones that get to bring it to the world. It's a huge responsibility, but it's an amazing opportunity. Because pretty much every person who knows Jesus knows him because of someone else, right? Like there are rare exceptions, but I'm guessing the reason you're in this room today is because someone in your life, a parent, a friend, a relative, a youth leader, someone loved you enough to share Jesus with you and changed your life forever. This is how God, in his grace and kindness, has chosen to disseminate his gospel to the world through people like you and I. Which is why Paul asks, how can anyone call on the name of the Lord if they don't believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they haven't heard about him? And how can they hear about him without someone telling them? So let me ask you, when was the last time you shared with someone what Jesus means to you? When was the last time you described the difference that Christ has made in your life? When was the last time you explained to a friend why you have the hope that you do? And if it's been a while, then I have to ask you, like Paul, how will the people in your life ever hear the gospel if you won't tell them? And how will they ever believe the good news if you won't share it with them? And how will your friends ever meet Jesus if you won't introduce them? That's how big of a role God has called you to play in his story of redemption. 
And I'm convinced that for every single one of us in this room, there is at least one person who is waiting for us to share the good news with them. There's at least one person in your life who you are uniquely designed and perfectly situated to reach in a way that no one else can. That's the dignity of causality. There are people you know who Jesus wants to save and he's waiting for you to tell them about him. Now, for some of you, that pumps you up and you're ready to go hit the streets. For others of us, that freaks us out. So let's get practical for a moment. What does evangelism actually look like for ordinary Christians like us? What does this look like in real life? Tim Keller used to say that the highest form of evangelism is friendship. He said, there's no such thing as friendship evangelism. There's friendship. And if you're friends with someone, as long as you don't intentionally hide the fact that you're a Christian from them, it will come up eventually, right? This is what friends do. They share their lives. They tell their stories, including their spiritual beliefs. So if you've been friends with somebody for like five years and they still have no idea you're a Christian, you're not a bad evangelist, you're a bad friend, right? It's just kind of weird. It's like, oh, we've known each other for 10 years. I didn't know you were married. Like, that's strange. I thought we were friends. <laughs> so you don't need to force your beliefs or cram anything down anybody's throat. That's not what we're talking about. We're just talking about being your honest, authentic self and as you and your friends get to know each other, the Holy Spirit will give you plenty of opportunities to talk about Jesus and what he means to you. That's what I've found in my life over and over again. So forget friendship evangelism. Let's just be good friends. Jesus himself was called a friend of sinners, and I think that's a good goal for all of us. Okay? So we can all do that. We're all called to the work of evangelism. But some are called to be evangelists, and that's the last word I wanna talk about. When you hear the word evangelist, I wonder what comes to your mind. I'm guessing for a lot of us, it's something like this. <laughs> Health and wealth, prosperity preachers with private jets and bad hair who are taking advantage of vulnerable people who are looking for a miracle. And even though almost all of these televangelists get caught up in some kind of scandal, somehow you can still find them on TV pretty much 24 seven. Um, these guys have given evangelists a bad name. But if you think this is what evangelists look, look like, I've actually got news for you. Did you know we have some real live evangelists here at Antioch? And I don't just mean in the sense that we're all called to evangelize. We've got a handful of folks who are dedicating their lives to sharing the gospel of Jesus here in Bend. And they don't look like this. They actually look like this. <laughs> Justin Scott, Skylar Lachlan, Emily and Kyle Cardinal. These are some of our local young life leaders who happen to be part of our church family here. Justin is the Young Life Area Director for all of Central Oregon. 
He leads the high school clubs at Bend High and at Caldera. Skyler oversees the team and leads the club at Mountain View High. Go Cougs. And Kyle and Emily also serve as Mountain View volunteers. Um, Kyle and Emily, by the way, definitely win this year's award for best photo in the church directory. <laughs> and I know I've said these guys don't look like your typical evangelists. Go back to the first picture real quick. <laughs> okay, now go back to the other one. I don't know. There's definitely some similarities, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not sure what that is. But um, these guys are real evangelists. And as young life leaders, here's what they do. They spend their lives going to where middle schoolers and high schoolers in our city are and building real relationships with them and introducing them to the real Jesus. This is what Young Life has been doing since the 1940s all around the world. So by show of hands, how many of you have been involved or impacted by Young Life in one way or another? Yeah, it's amazing. Millions of kids have met Jesus through Young Life. Jen and I got to be at the Young Life banquet a few days ago, and it was packed from people all over Central Oregon. If you go out into the hall and look on our wall of ministry partners, you'll see Young Life is one of the local ministries that we love to support and work with. And in fact, last week, they used our building here to throw their citywide Halloween party for high schoolers. And so uh, I just want to shout out to our resident evangelists. Um, I don't, are any of you guys here this morning? They're uh, usually second service. So um, we do love them, and we are so proud of them and so thankful for the difference that they're making in our city, in our churches, in our schools, in our families, including my own. So to sum it all up, the mission of Christ Church has always had two sides, social justice and evangelism. But they aren't two disconnected things. They're two sides of the same coin, showing and telling the gospel, demonstrating and declaring the good news, meeting physical and spiritual needs, word and deed, audio and video. And Antioch has a reputation for being a church that cares about justice. And I love that about us. I hope it never changes because we're gonna keep chasing justice. We're gonna keep feeding the hungry and serving the poor and standing with the oppressed and welcoming the stranger and confronting racism and caring for creation and disarming weapons and waging peace wherever we can. We will never stop pursuing justice. But let's also make sure that we aren't ashamed to preach what we practice. Let's make sure that we love our neighbors enough to share with them the hope that we've found in Christ. The video works. Let's make sure the audio is not on mute. Of course, this isn't a new or unique position to Antioch. This is what faithfulness to the whole gospel has always looked like. And I'll close with a few lines from a book called The Kingdom of God, which was written by a Presbyterian biblical scholar in 1953. We can't preach the ethics of Jesus and leave behind his mission and personhood. Nor can we urge people to saving faith in Christ, but not confront the systemic issues and demands of righteousness of the kingdom. 
We do not have two gospels, social and personal. We have one gospel, the gospel of the kingdom of God, and it is both. We have simply nothing else to preach. Amen. Amen.